Well, good morning and welcome, and uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Today we are continuing with our series, The Journey to the Cross. And so today we are looking at our verses that are found in the book of Luke. So we're going to bring the verses up on the screen and dive straight in. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. But on the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. Now, Jesus had told his disciples three times very clearly the events that would be occurring in the not too distant future. And a lot of the prophecies that were predictive prophecies in a way were told or foretold back in the Old Testament. And so Jesus was explaining to his disciples that these things had to happen, but it was as if the disciples just couldn't accept it or wrap their heads around it. Now, I'm sure many of us would have had news of something that we would just really struggle to get our heads around. Maybe we've had, you know, some difficult news to accept about a, a loved one and some sort of um, diagnosis or prognosis. Or we've been uh, told some bad news from work or something, you know, tragic has happened and we just can't seem to face it or wrap our heads around it. And we almost go into like a denial. And so I can really relate to some of these um, thoughts that the disciples might have been having about, you know, this is Jesus. They are friend, they are leader, they are rabbi, the person that they had given up their lives for to follow and learn from and serve. And so they were probably thinking, well, for the last three years, what has our life been about? If you're just going to be taken away from us and, and die, like you say, what's going to happen to us then? And so they were possibly in denial or just really struggled to wrap their minds around the, the foreseeable events. And I can remember one day when my, my dad was diagnosed with a terminal illness and I can just remember sitting outside the hospital in the car and just sobbing and crying out to God, you know, why this? Why him? Why now? Why has this disease knocked on the door of my family again, having just lost my mum to cancer just a few years before? And, being like a young man with three young children and just thinking, I, I need my dad. I need, I don't want to lose both my parents. I need them to help me, support me, you know, steer me through some of life's journeys. And I just would have really missed them. And so I can just remember really struggling to wrap my head around some of these things that were about to happen. But in that process, some amazing things happened. And my dad actually became like a believer in Jesus through this. And if that diagnosis had never come, I don't think we would have perhaps had the opportunity to sit down and have a real good talk to talk, you know, a good heart to heart talk about faith. And I really had the pleasure of leading him into a relationship with Jesus, you know, during that season. And so in some ways, I can kind of relate to that. My dad and my mum would often look forward to retirement and talk about going travelling and doing things on the house that they had never had a chance to do because of working commitments. And I see people now in their senior years, years um, you know, couples, and they, they're travelling and looking after grandchildren and going for coffee and doing the garden and doing these nice things. And I think how lovely that is. That is like really precious. And, you know, for some people, they don't get to that retirement age. 
And so I want to encourage you just aside quickly that, you know, if you are finding yourself doing this third lockdown, a little frustrated with your spouse, or you are indeed in, a, in your senior year, years and perhaps retired and are spending a lot of time with that person because there's no work or volunteering or sort of hobbies that have been removed from us all at this time just to take a moment just to kind of take a breath and just to appreciate that person and to just thank God for them and for this time that you have for them with them because this is a precious time so back to our story and we're going to continue looking at some uh, scriptures now and we're just going to quickly reference some of the Old Testament scriptures that were predictive prophecies about the things that the Messiah would have to go through and endure because of the love that he had for you and I to be able to enter into a relationship with God, have all the things that we've done wrong forgiven and have an eternity in heaven with him. And so in Psalms, it talks about in 41 verse 9, even my closest friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, turned against me. And this would refer to, as we know, Judas, who had travelled with Jesus and the other 11 disciples over the three years of his ministry and had eaten with him and learned and been taught by him and witnessed the miracles and healings and amazing ways of teaching that he would share with people. And as we know, he took care of the finances for the group. And as we know, it was Judas that betrayed Jesus for guess what? Money, 30 pieces of silver. Another verse is in Psalm 22, and it says, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. And this is obviously talking about when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when the Roman soldiers were gambling for his clothes. And in Isaiah, this is very specific. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. That is a wonderful verse. And this is very clear about the events of what happened to him physically during his crucifixion. And it references that we have all like sheep gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord was laid on him, the iniquity of us all. That's all the things we say, think and do wrong. Iniquity and transgressions are sort of old fashioned words, but it basically, they basically mean acts that go against a law or rule, a code of conduct or an offence immoral or grossly unfair behaviour and I'm sure we can all identify to some uh, things that we have done, thought, said, not done, thought and said that could relate to some of these things which is what the Bible calls our sins and so he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he did not open his mouth, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth and so we see some of these predictive prophecies talking about some of the things that the Messiah would go through. And yes, when we look back on the accounts of Jesus, these are exactly what happened to him. And so just a final quick one in Psalms, it says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, 
nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. And this talks about his resurrection, which ultimately is what the disciples were really struggling to kind of grasp a hold of. And so this is an amazing verse. It's just like a wow verse. It is so encouraging to us. For those of us that believe in Jesus, death is not the end. And in so many ways, it's just the beginning. And so Jesus wasn't pulling the wool over their eyes, but they would not grasp the significance of his words until they actually saw him risen face to face. And so the second feature of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem are the many people's lives that Jesus impacted on his way. And we hear and we see the account of Bartimaeus, which we're going to read now. And this is found in Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 42. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And this is a wonderful story. Even on his way into Jerusalem, that journey that was going to take him forward to his ultimate destiny, here we can still see that Jesus, merciful, kind and true and loving and giving to so many people, stopped and took pity on this man. And as we know, beggars often waited along the roadsides near cities because that's where they would have had more contact with people. And beggars back in Bible times were unable to provide for themselves. There was no like medical attention for them or medical supplies, so to speak. There was no like benefits or help or support. And so really, a lot of people ignored their obligation to care for the needy. And so a beggar and a blind beggar at that would have had little hope in society back then. But Bartimaeus took hope in Jesus and shamelessly cried out for him for his attention, calling him the son of David, a title for the Messiah. This, that means that a poor and a blind beggar could see that Jesus was the Messiah, yet the religious leaders of the day who saw his miracles and witnessed firsthand some of the accounts of Jesus performing miracles, healing the sick, teaching a radical way of living, they could not recognise him as their Messiah. And so that this miracle and the others show the evidence of the rule of a new kingdom overcoming sickness and even death in the story of Bartimaeus. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. So we're going to look now at a couple more verses in Luke chapter 19, 28 to 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples on ahead of them, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. 
Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the coat, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the coat? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So we know this story well, as it's what we kind of celebrate as Palm Sunday. And I can remember as a child, our traditions on Palm Sunday was a lovely lamb dinner with mint sauce, homegrown from the garden. And then in the afternoon, we would visit the cemetery of all our grandparents and elderly relatives who had passed away. And we would put beautiful daffodils on the grave. And I'm sure many of us have perhaps have memories of that. And so here we see Jesus entering the great city of Jerusalem. What must he have been feeling? Can you imagine what Jesus was feeling, that journey, knowing that this would ultimately take him to the cross? His purpose for coming to this earth in the first place 33 years ago. And it's ironic that we see Mary, his mother, heavily pregnant with Jesus, taking that first journey on a donkey into Bethlehem for Jesus to be born and come to this world in the first place. And now, 33 and a bit years later, we see Jesus himself riding on a donkey into Jerusalem to his death. What must he have been feeling? What was going through his mind? The humanness of Jesus must have had such like a, a huge knot in his stomach, just such a sense of dread. Or maybe he was just glad to get to Jerusalem to kind of just go through what it was that he needed to go through for you and me. And so here we see Jesus entering the great city of Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem would have been packed at this time because this was the feast of Passover. And as we know in the Jewish calendar, Passover is where Jews remember the great sort of celebration of being delivered from Pharaoh and Egypt. Remember the 10 plagues and Pharaoh not letting his people go and God's people who were slaves, you know, building the pyramids and, you know, had to bow to Pharaoh's rule and how awful their lives were. And every year they would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this and there would be feasting. It would be like a huge bank holiday, I suppose. And so they had to go to the temple and sort of give their sacrifice um, to God to say kind of thank you for delivering them from the hand of Pharaoh and so Jerusalem would have been really busy and bustling and there would have been crowds everywhere and by now Jesus would have become well known because people had seen his miracles and his healings and they had received his teachings about the the way he taught us to live about the love and care that he showed, about how to treat our neighbour, love our neighbour, love God first, forgive our enemies, how he treated women with respect and equality, how he treated the marginalised in society, 
how he taught us to forgive and how he taught us so many things about this new rule and this new way of living and being able to access God fully because of what he was about to do. And so the Jews would have taken a lamb in remembrance of their fleeing and freedom from Egypt centuries before. And so by now, Jesus had gained so much popularity with the people. People were expecting him to become this great leader and deliver them from, guess what, more oppressors, the Roman rule now. And so they were expecting this man to rise up and become like a military leader and to kind of set them free to give them their own kind of, um, you know, way of living again in freedom from under the Roman rule of the Romans. And so this was a peaceful time. And this is where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a coat or a donkey, which interestingly, during a time of peace, when a king would enter a city, he would ride on a donkey. A colt is a donkey, a male donkey that is under four years. And this donkey, what a lucky donkey. You know, he was like under four years of age and he was going to be the transportation for the king of kings, the saviour of the world, the Messiah. And donkeys can live for like 30 to 50 years. And I just think of how amazing it would have been for this little animal. And they have big ears because they can hear from, you know, miles around. And they were working animals. And so in this culture, they were used for obviously transportation, but they would work in the vineyards and in agriculture. And so they were very common animals and uh, needed in society at that time. And so a king would ride on a donkey during a time of peace. But during a time of war, a king would ride into a city on horseback, maybe, you know, a big stallion or something like that to kind of show power during a time of war. And so this was a really lucky donkey to have been reserved for the very king of kings, saviour of the world for the events that were about to follow. And so the people's mood would have been very favourable towards Jesus at this time. You know, they had this expectation and they lined the roads and they cast their garments like a red carpet and they, they flew in the air palm trees. A little bit like if we were celebrating a monarch visiting our town or something like that. And I remember being a little girl, probably two or three, and sitting outside my garden with my grandparents and all the neighbours were out and the Queen of Elizabeth, Queen of England, was visiting our little village. And she uh, it came in a big black car with a, a flag on the front and all us kids had these little flags. And when the Queen was passing, we would all be waving the flags. And I suppose it was a bit like that then. You know, they thought this Jesus was going to be their king, their leader. He was going to deliver them from the oppression of Roman rule. And so there was a celebratory air. They were expecting great things and they loved Jesus because they thought this is the one we've been waiting for. And so they, they would shout, long live the king, and they knew that Jesus was intentionally fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this prophecy was actually predicted over 500 years before. And just as the prophecies were fulfilled, when Jesus came to the earth, so the rest of the predict 
predictive prophecies of his return are just as certain to come true. So are we ready? Are you ready? And this is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus first came to this earth as an innocent baby and lived a perfect life. He knew no sin, he didn't do anything wrong. And yet he was the sacrifice, so to speak. He was like the living lamb for our atonement, for us to have our sins forgiven, to be washed clean, to be made anew, to be put right with God. And when we come to a place of understanding who Jesus is and what he did and receiving those things and accepting Jesus into our own lives by just simply asking him, Jesus, sorry for the things I've done wrong. Please come into my life. Be the in my leader, my friend, my father, my guide. I commit my life to you. Help me to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your peace. And I accept to live for you. And that is like, you know, a child's prayer or response to knowing and understanding who Jesus is and the purpose for this amazing journey to Jerusalem. And it doesn't end there. When Jesus died, we know that all the things that we've done wrong with the Bible called sin went down into the grave with him. And when he rose again, the Bible says he defeated death. And that is why when we trust in Jesus, we know that death is not the end, but just the beginning. That when we leave this earth, when we our last breath comes from our mouths and just our uh, fragments of our earthly bodies are left in the grave our spirit then goes immediately to Jesus and he is going to return and we're going to return with him and we're going to live forever with Jesus and that is an awesome thing to get our heads around but that is the essence of this journey to Jerusalem and the gospel message that Jesus came to die for us so that we can live forever no forgiveness and have a relationship with him and so Jesus chose a time when all of Israel would be gathered at Jerusalem, a place where huge crowds would really see him and a way of proclaiming his mission. So the people went wild. They were sure that their liberation was at hand, but they had the wrong idea about Jesus. They expected him to be this national leader, like I said, who would restore their nation to its former glory. And so they were deaf to the prophet's real intent of words and blind to Jesus' real mission. And when it became more apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfil their hopes, many people then started to turn away and turn against him. And the Pharisees thought the crowd's words were sacrilegious and blasphemous and they, they didn't want to revolt or someone Know, challenging their power and authority and so that is why they told or asked the disciples you know be quiet basically keep your voices down let's not have a fuss let's just have a nice quiet you know peaceful time and so if there had been a big fuss and a revolt it would have brought the roman army down on them and so as we can feel these were delicate political times a bit like today and so they asked Jesus to keep his people quiet. But Jesus said that if the people were quiet, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Not because Jesus was setting up a powerful political kingdom, but because he was establishing God's eternal kingdom. A reason for the greatest celebration of all, that we can know and enter into God's eternal kingdom because of this journey into Jerusalem and what was going to unfold in those days ahead. What he had to go through and ultimately that he rose again to defeat death and pave a way for us to have relationship and be restored to God. 
And so these are amazing verses when we really look at them and unpack them. It really helps you to realise what Jesus must have been feeling and going through during that time. And yet he went through it willingly for you and me. And so this makes me feel very appreciative of what Jesus went through. And it helps me to understand that life is precious and what years we have left on this earth are like little droplets in the ocean compared to the amazingness of eternity that death is not the end that we will see our loved ones who've gone before us in jesus once again and that the reason that we are here on earth now primarily is to really take what we know and believe to those around us that they too can receive this wonderful gift of salvation so thanks for joining us this morning and uh, we look, really look forward to seeing you again soon in the flesh. Come on, let's get out of this lockdown safely and soon. So take care.